everyone, welcome to a new episode of Caroline Toss. And today I am joined by a special guest, actress Deepti Gupta, to discuss her new film, India Sweets and Spices, which will be premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival in June of this year. So by the time you see this, this may, it may have already been pre premiered at the festival. And if you have a chance to see it, please do. I actually really enjoyed it. And I'm going to just ask Deepti to speak a bit about herself, and then we're going to get into discussion about the film. So Deepti. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about the film and whatever else comes up. Hmm. Yes. Okay. So, um, so my first question is, how did you get into acting? Because like, I think you've had like a pretty interesting career because you have an MFA in, um, I think it's in, in acting, acting. And yeah. then draw, what drew you to acting in particular, apart from like any other careers or anything that you, that you <laughs> be on TV? I, I don't know that I thought I wanted to be on TV, but I've always wanted to be an actor. It's the only thing. Um, and now as I'm older, I can look back and think about what happened and whatnot. And I feel like where I am currently in my understanding about my own journey is that, um, you know, growing up in certain cultures, and actually I feel like in, in most cultures, girls don't get to have the freedom for full self-expression. And so for me, I started out in theater and theater really felt like I could be crazy. I could be loud. I could, you know, I, I remember a play that I did where I played this crazy, like screwy king who makes all kinds of, you know, weird decisions. And to get to play a male king in a play, I, there's no way I would have that kind of freedom of expression and power and agency in my own life growing up in, in Delhi. So I think for me, that was what the pull was. And uh, I just, it's something that's just, just what I've always wanted to do is just, you know, everyone's journey is different and I've, mine has been what it has been. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the the, things that drew that draws people into becoming actors for a lot of people it's about you know because they enjoy being on stage they enjoy being the center of attention or it, for like for you it's a way to like express yourself in differently and to play a role that you may not necessarily get to play in your own mm -hmm. society but when you're on stage you're like you're like the, the shackles are kind of like released and broken on stage and depending on the kind of role that you have and the director because I think a lot of it also depends on the director the director gives you the freedom and the flexibility to play the role and the character that you that you think oh absolutely so important to have great collaborators um and I have been fortunate enough to work with some really great female South Asian directors who you know we can kind of talk about it like what are we doing with this role or what are we doing with this story I've also worked in Pakistani television and uh, director and my dear friend Nareen Jabbar who lives in New York. I've worked with her a ton and I know that, you know, she also wants to create strong, meaningful female characters in the stories she tells. So it just makes it that much more wonderful to be able to explore more complexity, uh, especially with female protagonists. Yeah, and I think it kind of like this film, I think in particular, kind of touches on like all of those things because it's talking about women who grew up in a, in a patriarchal society such as in India and then moving and to, to North America and losing identities or finding their identities and then having to raise daughters because I think yeah. itself talks a, a lot about female relationships, whether it's um, sisters or mother and, or mother and daughter or just female friendships and then how those affect the relationships with the men in their lives. So um, could you just tell us a little bit about your character, Barafi? Because I think she's I think she's really interesting because she seems very unassuming. But then when you like, like, I think your acting brings shows a lot of uh, inner strength in her character. And like, you're very expressive in the way that you you use her face and body language, because some of the scenes I'm like, she's throwing shade without saying a word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just I feel so fortunate to have played uh, this part. Um, because I, you know, and we're dealing with patriarchy all around the world. Uh, and I feel like young girls especially need good role models. And um, I know I didn't have a lot of 
role models, female role models who I could look up to and see, oh, I see the challenge of the patriarchy and this is how you're gonna overcome. What I saw around me was a lot of uh, kind of like being the victim of patriarchy. And in Peravi, I got to play this part where despite all kinds of circumstances, there's a way in which I'm able to hold agency in myself. And it's not easy because it um, makes you stand against the social norms in some ways. But I feel like that that tension of this is where, you know, everyone's, you know, following these rules because that's what we've agreed to do. And here I am going, I get it. I don't care for them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a business owner. I'm going to have my own store. This is how I'm going to raise my child. I have one child. I don't have two, three kids. Like there's a lot of choices that I make um, in, in, you know, in the, in the story of the film that may not be very obvious, but for me as the actor playing them that I was very aware of, of the ways in which that um, activism uh, is present in almost every decision that's made. Um, so I just, I loved that I got to play this part. Yeah, because for, I think for Barabi is, um, the way her character is introduced is I think different because she is not the protagonist. No. Um, as it per se, as you would say, but she's the one who kind of like makes the story flow and kind of like um, causes the resolution at the end. Because without her character, a lot of the the secrets and the lies and the deception <laughs> and everything that happens wouldn't be revealed. And then without that, you also wouldn't have the reconciliation between mother and daughter, um, mm. between Alea and and Sheila. And Sheila. Sorry if you see me like yeah. because I have the notes on my phone. No, no worries. <laughs> And and without her, she she's kind of the glue that brings that brings their stories together, and she's the one that causes Sheila to find who she used to be. Absolutely. Right? And, and for me to for me to get my friend back, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think that um, and just the impact it has on Alia, to because otherwise she's growing up in in a. a in a community where the roles are pretty set. This is what men do, this is what women do, and this is how you are as a woman. And she's trying to figure out who she is amidst all of this. There's a, there's a rebellious streak in her, but she doesn't know what to do with that. And I think through the film, she figures out, there's just a more like, ah, this is what, I've been thinking a lot about, um, epigenetic trauma. And with that also just the idea of the women who come before us and how their lives definitely impact our lives. Like I am very different from my mother, but her life, who she is definitely has an impact on me. And so just the having that moment in the film for Alia when she learns more about her mother, the freedom that brings for her you know, oh my God, I wish that for like every young woman to have that, um, to experience more complexity in what it is to be a woman. Yeah, because the thing that I think I'm um, director, um, Gita Malik and did, um, that I think is such a smart thing to do is she talks about how, the way I saw it is like when, when you're an immigrant, mm -hmm. and especially if you're first generation, I'm an immigrant from Barbados and- Me too. Right, like, <laughs> I think, like the thing with I think, and and I was thinking about it just last night. When you're when you're an immigrant, you have an identity at home. You know who you are in the place you were born. In. You know your place yeah. in your family. You know your place in society. You know your place in your friends group. But then when you make that decision to pack up, leave, and move to a completely different country, and for like some people, a place that they've never been before. And like for me, I moved to Canada in 2009, but and the only time I had been to Canada before that was in 1998 at 14 years old and I, my sister and I we stayed for an entire summer with our dad but that was the only time but my frame of reference was only the reference that I had as a 14 year old child I didn't I didn't know what to expect as an adult and like for for Sheila and her husband like they move as adults and all of their friends everyone in their community they moved as adults and they they had their even like you live in a country for 20 30 years you're still discovering who you are in this community because oh my god your birth your who you are is who you are at, where you were born is completely different to who you are in a place that's not your native home right 
And I know this is a conversation we could have like a whole hour and a half on. It's a topic that's very dear to my heart because I am also an immigrant and I feel like immigrating uh, emigrating as an adult Mm -hmm. is a very different experience than emigrating as a two-year-old, three-year-old, as a child. That's its own experience. And emigrating as, as an immigrant, you're absolutely right. There's this identity that you had before and it almost feels like you've like gone through this like time warp and you've entered this other place and you you have to kind of wonder who am i am i who like what i was back there was that real was that made up who do i need to be now in order to survive and how do i retain who i am and when you're also wondering well who am i because we're not individual we're part of a society society influences who we become um so definitely, I mean, Sheila um, and uh, her husband, uh, Rajiv, Rajiv, yeah. um, you know, they they find a community that feels safe as as new immigrants, and then they have to play by the rules of the community because otherwise, then you're an outsider, which mm-hmm. I am in the film. I'm I'm not part of that in group. I'm part of the out group, precisely because I've made different choices. Yeah, but the you thing know, is, so- like- but the thing is, it's funny is that you're an outsider as an immigrant, you're an outsider yes. of color, you're an outsider as a woman of that's of Indian descent, but then you're still an outsider within the people from your own cultures. And that's, and that's, and that's, I think a lot of people don't understand is like, even as an immigrant, even if you find yourself in a community that is, that is from where you are, depending on who you are as an individual, and like, you can still be considered an outsider oh. if you don't follow the particular rules, like they transplanted and they adopted they brought over their rules, their structural rules of being Indian, but then they still adopted specific things to assimilate into American society. Like they bought yes. into like capitalism and like, you mm-hmm. know, keeping up appearances. It's kind of, it kind of made me think of both the show Keeping Up Appearances, you know, from like the 1980s average mm-hmm. show. And then also Jane Austen and like how she talks about Pride and Prejudice and a little bit of persuasion is like mixed up in mm-hmm. there. And you think of how like we're kind of outsiders within our own, within our own social circles. And then like for Barabi, like she knows who she is as a woman and she's happy as she is. But then when you meet up with Sheila again, is like kind of like the missing piece has um, been found again because like she was still missing her friendship. She was still missing, I think, a part of that because she's only she only has her husband and her son. Mm-hmm. And like from what we've seen in the film, she we don't see her have any other close relationships mm-hmm. with women. She may have, but nothing as deep as she had with Sheila yeah. when they were 20s. So like she's still missing that huge part of her connection to herself as a young woman. And mm-hmm. I think the film just explores that brilliantly in a very subtle way because it shows you the different types of relationships women can have. And oh, yeah. women right. are so complex. We have so many different types of relationships. Oh. And, it's, and like the film like explores that I think really well. I agree with you. So well said. I have nothing else to add to that. <laughs> so well said. <laughs> so, um, I want to talk a bit about the the about how activism plays a part in the film because, like for Barathe, she she was an activist. Both her and Sheila were activists when they were young women. And we, when we usually when we think of activism, we think of marching and protesting and you know like passing up flyers or whatever. But then there's I think activism in in who we are as people because like you encourage her you encourage Sheila to like be an activist in her own home to like take a stand and speak up for herself and then with Alaya she she does the same thing where she she takes uh in the initiative to like speak up to her father and speak up to all of the catty old women and men <laughs> at the party that party was wild I'm like girl you got these people out here spilling their own secrets like <laughs> But I, think, but I think that's still a form of activism where you advocate for someone else and you get them to advocate for themselves. Oh, yeah. You know, I used to have a very black and white point of view on that. Um, I remember a um, dear friend of mine, he is black and he's a gay man. And we were working on, I used to work with this company uh, doing diversity training for corporate firms and business schools. And so part of our work was introducing ourselves and, uh, you know, giving a full introduction. And that meant I would say, well, I'm uh, an Indian woman and I'm straight and all of that. And I said, oh, and you're going to say that you're a black man and you're gay. And he's like, no, I'm not going to say that I'm gay. And I said, but why not? And, and he, that was a very deep conversation we had where he said, my activism 
doesn't need to be rah, rah out there. My activism, it's almost like in circles. I have to gain trust with people to then influence them. I'm not interested in influencing them with that. And in some ways in the film, we did try the rah-rah activism, you know, but the patriarchal society we were a part of just couldn't handle it. It just, from every direction we were pulled down. And so I feel like as Bhairavi, I keep that activism alive in me in the best way that I can. And then it can't, it's a very good point you're making about like how the influence it has, because even my son in the film, he's not like the other boys in, from, from that rich neighborhood. And so there's a way in which he has an understanding and a sensitivity to things that they don't. Um, and yeah, I think, I think for me, you know, I am kind of like, there's a fun mirror that Sheila looks at herself in the what's called the fun house mirror. Yes, and then there's the, there's the like straight mirror. Mm. And I feel like that's what I present her to be like, this is who you are. And you can choose not to do that. And you can see the repercussions of that. And it's a, it's a, it's a big choice when you've built your life around um, secrets and lies. To, to choose to undo them, you're putting a lot at risk. Yeah. But yeah. then, you know, I think it's a choice for her. Ultimately, what am I risking? Mm. And what am I getting out of all the truth, the secrets and lies? Mm. Yeah, because yeah. I think as women, like we, we're taught so much from young to be a certain way. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in India, Barbados or North America, whatever, is like, because our society is built, the foundation is patriarchal. And we're taught from very young that we have to look a certain way, speak a certain way, behave a certain way, because we don't want to give off the wrong impression. But then as we grow older, we're thinking exactly what is the wrong impression? <laughs> and I'm 37 and I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> what exactly is the wrong impression the wrong impression to who who am i trying to impress people that i have oh. i've never met but you know it's just like on the off chance you run into somebody who's just like be careful right what like my mom would also say you need to be be more decorum um but she, the word she would use is decorum that was one uh -huh. of my words back in the day <laughs> even more decorous carolyn and you know like watch how you talk like even like when i'm speaking in my dialect i i i still i'm now i've been living in canada 11 years and i'm now started to speak feel more comfortable speaking in my dialect to people who aren't from the uh, right and i think and i, and I, oh, I that I, is deep what you're talking about it is, it is very deep i when i came to this country 20 years ago so tribeca and i are celebrating 20 years together um i didn't sound like this and what happened was in grad school i um auditioned for a play that one of the um, directing students was directing and you know, I auditioned, I didn't get in, and I thought, okay, that's fine. I'm, I want to have a meeting with her and find out what can I do? What, what did she notice? Any feedback? And she said to me, well, you know, the play has three um, uh, kind of uh, housewives, like suburban housewives, and you just don't sound like that. Of course, because I had lived in India, and then I lived in Singapore for two years, and I came to the U.S. then. And, you know, like impact of those kinds of statements can be big. I was young and I decided, well, if I want to work in America, I need to change. So I started taking, uh, learning the American dialect and I was surrounded by people who spoke in the American dialect and I started to, and I have a, an ear like that where I, wherever I am, I start to take it on. And so now it sounds like that. But I remember the first time I went back to India, to Delhi for my best friend's wedding, my friends and cousins were like, what are you trying to do? Who do you think you are? And I was like, what am I trying? I'm not trying to do anything. And then it just was like, oh my God. It really feels to me like, you know, the swan story, the crow story, actually. The crow that is like, I think I'm a swan. Oh, so yes. it goes to the swans and they're like, look at you. You're not like, like us. So it goes and rubs itself on a stone to get rid of its skin color to be more like swans, but it can't. Mm. 
So then goes back to the crows and he's like, oh, hey, and the crows are like, no, you're not like us. And I just feel like sometimes choices that immigrants make can put them in that place where they kind of don't fully belong to one group and they belong to both, but, but in different ways. Yeah. And you have to just, I'm learning that I just have to be okay with the differences that I have. But what you're saying about um, dialect and speech, it's, uh, it is very deep. It is how people receive you and hear you and that they make their own ideas about your intelligence, your capacity, your capability. And that's like a lot to deal with. Mm, it is. And like, like, cause I was thinking, as you were speaking, I was thinking of when one of the first times I went back home to Barbados after I moved here, mm-hmm. uh, what was I, what, my sister and I, we went to church. And one of the first questions I was asked is like, oh, you still got your Bajan dialect. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> and, 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 but the thing, the reason they would ask that is because it's kind of like this running joke in like, amongst the, like, um, amongst Bajans is like some like Bajans, because Bajans, like we are very, I think, westernized. Uh-huh. Um, regards to like how our society operates, especially with regards to American and to Britain, because you know slavery, colonialism, mm-hmm. and but like people would like go to the U.S. for like vacation <laughs> and come back speaking oh, with, a, come back. with a U.S. accent, right? And it's kind of like, this joke. But I, I, when I was younger, I would laugh at it to you. Like somebody go back, you come back, it's like wait, talk with like American accent. You're like y'all, be y'all so stuff. But but when I but then when I was an adult and I people expected me to have a Canadian accent. I'm like, I've only been gone like what three, four years. How do you guys from to have an old accent? But then I was thinking, like, when I returned home and I were and I went to the school that I worked at, the kids would always be so surprised when I spoke in a, with, with my dialect. I would let my dialect mm-hmm. and they would be so surprised. And and part and part of the reason for that is like in Barbados, like when you're training to work in the corporate world. We're mm-hmm. like we're we're, ta- we're taught to speak proper English. Oh, right? proper proper English because yeah. our dialect is considered broken English. So, so we're taught to speak proper English. So like when you go to work, if you're working in a law office or whatever, like we we don't answer our phones with our dialect. I would answer the phone. Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to so and so law office. Oh my God, that same thing exists in Singapore as well, because Singapore has its own dialect. Yeah, like, and it's like, it's a mix of Chinese, Malay, Indian, like all these influences. And uh, when I went to Singapore, there's definitely a proper English. Mm. And then there's the Singapore, the Singlish, what's called. And mm. I just thought, what a disservice that Singlish is like here and Eng- proper English is here. Because Singlish is, is the true identity of these people. But it is not, and I remember I directed a, a a version of Romeo and Juliet uh, as part of my thesis mm-hmm. that I was working on. And I decided that all the characters in the play were going to speak in Singlish because like Romeo and Juliet is taking place in Singapore. So how are they gonna talk? And it was just, you can see the story come alive in a way that, you know, anyway, I mean, that was part of my thesis, what I was working on, but it's so true that there's this like hierarchy of dialect. In the diversity training work that we did, um, there would always be people who'd be like, oh, this Japanese person, I'm having a very hard time understanding them. But the French person, you don't have a hard time understanding. The British person, you're okay with. Like all the Europeans, you're like, hey, okay. So it's just like all these different hierarchies that people get placed in. It's crazy. Yeah, we know a lot of it boils down to um, colonization and colonialism and how all of that and how the imperialism of Britain affected so much of the oh world, my God. And including India. And like one of the things I think, one of, the, one of the reasons I love watching films like this is it gives us such an insight into how things like colonization has affected different societies and how it affects different societies, but in the exact same way where we're taught that our identities as like people of color specifically only matters if we fit into a certain mold. And mm. and I think kind of like um because I was thinking of the name of the film like sweets and spices I'm like technically the sweets and spices are the women right and it's about how we <laughs> and, and that's a legit that's what I was thinking because I'm like the sweets and spices are the women that's what I got in my notes and and it has to do with like how we like I think like are able to like bring ourselves out from like whatever is oppressing us 
And like one of my all time favorite films, my sister and I love is um, Benny Light Beckham. And the reason mm-hmm. I love Benny Light Beckham is like when at home, and I think it's such a, and I think it's such a fascinating study of like with um, the, the film Sweets and Spices is how people of color are one way at home and another way outside. Because in Benny Light Beckham, like the mom would be talking to her and she'd be like, you would like, you would like, <laughs> I gotta laugh because this line is so funny. And she like, we're gonna bring out your boys like two juicy, juicy mangas, right? Or she be talking like, <laughs> she talking about dalpuri or making like like these these foods. And like even in the film when they have the parties, like the the titles of the parties are like different um, traditional names, and like you see the traditional foods being served, and that's who these people are at home. Like like the women put on their saris and they're and like like they're they're comfortable there. But then when you see them outside. They're wearing like Western, what we would call Western mm-hmm. wear. And I'm like, why can't you dress up for outside the same way you would at home? Right. But but then it's like this whole is like the kind of the dichotomy of the of identities that Absolutely. we have. And I think that's like what your characters kind of have, because for for Barabi, she wears her traditional clothing everywhere. She yeah. doesn't. And I thought it was interesting where she's in her traditional clothing at all times, whereas like for the other women like Leia and her mother, they mm-hmm. wear like only traditional clothing when they're around other Indian people mm-hmm. at home parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's clothing, food, all of that is so, um, especially for immigrants, it's so big. I remember uh, when I was new to the US, I I would sometimes wear my Indian like shalwar kameez to go to school. Uh, and I remember a friend of mine, she's a dear friend now, she was like, oh, you're wearing, like, is it a special day today? And I was like, no, it's not a special day. You wear jeans and like t-shirt. Do I say, is it a special day today? But it took, she was, of course, <laughs> I had to jump because I couldn't, I didn't then as a new immigrant have an understanding of how to really communicate what I'm saying. And she became defensive as well and be like, I'm just complimenting you. And I'm like, I don't compliment you on your jeans. Why do you have to compliment me on my shalwar kameez? It's the same thing. But to her, it's not. And that is more about her own small view of the world and her own narrow experience of the world. But I, as an immigrant, am bringing a wider experience with me that can hold both the American way of life and the Indian way of life. Um, And so... Even though I understand that, I feel like there's a there's a tension in you know non-Western cultures what we wear as being exoticized and not just be normalized. Mm-hmm. And normalized doesn't mean anything else. Like it's just like someone wears, and maybe more of us need to be wearing saris out there. I don't know. I don't know how it'll happen, but uh, it's definitely something that. Um, I think especially immigrants think a lot about mm, as they think about surviving in, in a new culture. It's true. I don't think I, there's, I don't think wants wants to become an immigrant because that's also something else. Like we're not born immigrants. Like we become immigrants and like once you become that and once you take on, taken on that identity, like literally when you have to think of yourself, like I'm an immigrant now, that's uh, you're, you're taking on, some you're taking on this the no the perception of who other people of what people will have of you because mm-hmm. if it's a predominantly white place um a country like toronto is extremely multicultural and multiracial and ethnic but the majority of people around me are still white right yeah. and and yeah. they and they still don't have even no matter you're like you were surrounded by all these people come from all over the world and you still don't have a fundamental understanding of how different cultures cultures and ethnicities work and it's just so fascinating to me. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I love doing interviews with like people like you and watching films is because I, and I was thinking about it recently, is like, uh, do I have to see everything from the lens of an immigrant? But I'm like, I can't help it because that's just who I am. Oh my God. Oh, seriously, we can talk for hours. It is, it is, I've been wanting to do a podcast on um, immigrants for a long time. And I just haven't, we should, we will talk. Um, <laughs> Because I, I do feel like that's such a great point. As an actor, I have to think about that because I sound a different way. I don't fully sound American. And so I wonder sometimes how does that impact the roles that I do get or don't get, you know? And I narrate audiobooks and sometimes I get requested, can you sound more American? 
right? I am an American citizen, but, and so I have to say, this is as American as I can sound. If I'm not American enough for you, that's fine. You're welcome to go find somebody else. And I've had to learn to be okay with my version of an immigrant American. And so you're right in that I can never not be an immigrant. I'll just be an immigrant for 10 years and 20 years. And with each decade, it'll bring its own wisdom and craziness maybe. Um, and sometimes it's exhausting, honestly. Sometimes I'm like, oh, can I just not wear this hat and just like partake in something without that? But no, like I'm, I'm raising my son, our son, he's um, eight years old. And early on, I decided it was important for him to know my mother tongue, Hindi. And so I've always spoken with him in Hindi and got all these books and all this stuff. And uh, three years ago, we started a Hindi language podcast, a weekly podcast where we make up stories every week. And, and I was like, <laughs> my family was like, why are you doing that? He's American. Why does he need to learn Hindi? And I was just like, wow, you guys, instead of supporting me, you're like, what's this crazy thing you're doing? And to be honest, I don't know ultimately what the world is going to be like in 10, 15 years from now. I know that this is a language, it's my heart language, and I know that he knows that. And that kind of, you know, kind of like the, all of that is because I'm an immigrant. I think if I was born and raised here, maybe my parents would have given me their mother tongue, maybe not. I have a lot of uh, American-born Indian friends, or I guess American-born South Asian Americans <laughs> who don't have their um, parents' native tongues because they were not taught that. So with, with being an immigrant, yeah, once an immigrant, always an immigrant, I guess, to some, in, in some ways. Yeah. The next yeah. time someone asks you, tells you about speaking American, you should ask them which dialect I'm going to use, which accent, because America, it doesn't have an accent. It doesn't have, like, each city has its own, each city has its own way of speaking. It has its own accent. Like, am I supposed to be representing someone from Boston? Am I representing someone from Florida? Like, what? Like, so, like even within, like, you have North, of North, as in, like, North of, like, uh -huh. Georgia has like their own dialects, but then you still know someone from the South of the like, South from the South speaks completely different to someone from Correct. the North. And then within there, you have like hundreds of differences of, of accents and dialects. And it's just like, I, it always fascinates me people say, I, like, I know an American accent when I hear it, but I yeah, can yeah. still pick up like, if someone is speaking with a Bostonian accent, I can mm -hmm. still pick up speaking with a, 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 someone with, like from Atlanta, or, you know, like if I, if I hear them, I could I remember and I'm like, okay, if I hear someone else with a similar accent, I know where they're from, right? Yes, like, yes. I'd be like, what is an American accent? You got to be a bit more specific and see what they tell you. Because like, the thing is, is that what I find with North America is so fascinating is everything has to be from a very particular perspective. Yeah. Like, like we, we know that they want us to appeal to them, but they don't want to try to fit us in. Like, America is a land of immigrants. Like anyone I came across that is not Native American is an immigrant. Whether you're first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth gen, you are still technically an immigrant. You're not Native American. You're not indigenous, right? Yeah. But, but then you still have people saying, oh, but I'm, yes. So then therefore anyone who immigrates there, anyone who lives there, who calls themselves an American is an American, but they're less, you got to prove it. So yeah. Like, I've had white crazy. people I'm like, I've had white people tell me, I'm a real Canadian. I'm like, from which tribe are you from? <laughs> which tribe? Tell me. There's a there's a brilliant book um, called My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menikin. Hmm. And he's a um, social worker, psychologist, um, I think. I had it, I don't know, it's on my shelf. Um, if you get a chance, I highly recommend it. He talks about trauma and how our bodies carry the trauma. And he talks about white bodies, black bodies and police bodies and kind of just, he's talking about that, but there's a lot in it for people of color and just also understanding what is happening, kind of the epigenetic trauma within the white body and what keeps on perpetuating. It's a fascinating book.
Yeah, that that's that that right there is a whole is such a I think a deep discussion, especially when we're talking about um but as particularly I think with identity, because like if you're like talking and like even with the film, um we were talking to people from India, like so many people don't realize that India was colonized by by Britain. And that has that has years deep impact on I think from my perspective anyway, on Indian culture, because like whether the film is set in America or if you set it in, in New Delhi, you would get kind of like the same discussions of of class, mm-hmm. right? And how mm-hmm. like India had its own class structure before the British got there, but then once the British got there, that influenced how they perceive their own class culture too. And then absolutely, it's just like this whole domino effect. And it's just like people, this is not simply this is like, as you would say a black and white issue. This is there's so many layers and complexities and like. Yeah the women like like the film talks about protests and about how women like you and Sheila and like they protested against the patriarchy they protested and were protecting women who were abused and raped and and I think it's important that she that 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 was that that's a a significant part of like the foundation of the story because it shows India itself had its own um, reckoning and I think still reckoning with patriarchy and like mm-hmm. feminine and sexism and then women discovering their femi- feminine, the feminist movement in a society like that. Right. And I would, and I think it's important, not only for, I think it's important, I think for people who are not of Indian descent, particularly, especially those who do not have a real understanding of Indian culture or Indian history, political history to see that these kind of movements don't only like you have like the, what do you call it? The pussy hat movement. I'm like, yeah, that has uh, happened. India too, people like there were protests in India about these things. Like, like you know, like these things. Just because like we know that it has a class system doesn't mean that the yeah. women accepted it. That doesn't mean that all of the women would just happily sat by and and they were like saying, "No, we're not happy with this system. We're not happy with how things are being done." And then even if you look at um, Miravi's husband, he supports her too. And I think in very small ways, but very subtle. And I think very impactful. One of my favorite moments in the film is at the party where she's like a glass and he just hands it to her and he just mm-hmm. has a smirk on his face. And you know that he is not the typical Indian husband compared yeah. to the other men in that room, right? Mm-hmm. And like you mm-hmm. see that he, he, he supports her fully. And the way how he would be looked down on because like he's running a small shop. I'm like, but without that shop, you can't get the supplies that you need. So who are you looking down on? <laughs> but then her, but then Sheila's husband, because he's a doctor, he mm-hmm. is, he'll be like held up as like, oh, he's this great man. But then he's being, he's traitorous. He's an adulterer. He's a liar. He's a cheat. And he's also domineering and he, and he's patriarchal. And I'm like, who is the better husband here? Who's the better man? The one that you are looking down on because he doesn't have the millions of dollars or the one that just because he has millions of dollars, you assume he's a better person and he's a, and because he went to Harvard, what does that have to do with anything? Education with your personality. Education. I mean, it's important, (laughs) but education doesn't really, uh, I know many educated people who (sighs) I wouldn't want to sit and have a drink with. (laughs) Then mom would call them educated fools. Educated fools. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so like the, I think the film does that. And it, I think it would encourage people to like watch more, to, to go and do more research or to learn more about not only, um, I think, feminism and like seeing people from other cultures differently, because I think it's important that you have films like this done by people of color about people of color and to show that mm-hmm. we are we are we always say we're not a monolith but it's true because like we have different we have different um ways of doing things as as Absolutely. people like each culture is different for me the thing that was also refreshing um i am so tired of seeing the same stereotypical indian mom mm-hmm. on american tv and it's just it's even when it's written by you know some of the uh, south asian american writers it's just, there's no depth. And for me, while the film does have those stereotypical aunties mm-hmm. who are doing all of those things, I think in, in the part of Bhairavi and, and Sheila, when she you know, kind of has her reckoning, you kind of see the, the other hidden version of the auntie that we don't get to see. Because the thing that I also am learning is 
that all these women who are the aunties who kind of get stuck, this is a result of patriarchy. Mm -hmm. This is how they've learned to survive the patriarchy. So they're kind of passing on the information to you. This is what you need to do in order to survive this and maybe have some fun while you're doing it. And I think we're kind of, some of us are so tired of that. And I love that the film is able to give us both versions of the auntie. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's the auntie I, that's the kind of auntie I would want to be, who's all like, yeah, go protest that thing. That's not okay. And I don't care. I remember I was a girl, maybe I was 10 years old and I was hanging out with some cousins of mine and I was wearing a frock and I had my feet up on the table. I remember talking, whatever, it was a wedding. This uncle walks in and he sees my feet on the table and he's like, what are you doing? Legs down. I was like, what just happened? Now, nobody else got scolded. I got scolded. And, you know, years later, I still remember that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I wish I had an auntie there nearby. Like my kind of auntie would be like, so what? Those boys don't have a problem. She doesn't have a problem. Who are you to be the patriarchal police? Go mind your own business. You know, it's like in all these smaller ways, as girls, we are told, as women, we're told, we're too much, we're too this, we're too that. And, you know, speaking up for ourselves, speaking up for each other, we ourselves have a hard time with it. Yep. Because that's how we get indoctrinated into the system that we're part of. Mm. Yeah. And, and I feel like in the film, Alia really like has this reckoning of where she's able to get out of it and hopefully has a life that is more uh, empowered. Hmm. Yeah, I think is, I, th I think just being, I think being a woman, especially a woman of color is, there are so many things that we have to contend with <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis. Like sometimes mm -hmm. like, even if we're at, like, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're not really going anywhere, but even there's some moments where we have to like double check and like check ourselves. Like for me, like when I'm, just like on Twitter, I, I'm always thinking, how will what I say be perceived on Twitter? Mm -hmm. Am I still going to come across? Sometimes I really, actually don't care. I'm like, I don't care if you think I'm the angry black woman. But then there are other moments I'm thinking, am I, is what I'm saying going to come across as me being the angry black woman? And I'm just like, my mom would say, taking it for your rage and just getting upset. Mm -hmm. Things I should, that I don't need to get upset about. But then I, always, I, then I have to remind myself, but that's conditioning. That's just me having always been told that I'm either too loud, too outspoken, too have too opinionated, too mm -hmm. this, too that. And then there are moments like as you said, and then there are moments where we're not enough, where we're not, we're you know, oh. we're, we're, we're we're either too much or not enough. We're very rarely just right. And then you know what I mean. <laughs> so it's so just true like things that we have that we're always just like thinking about and like questioning and and pondering and like on a daily basis. And like life is very rarely simple. And um, that's and I just I think I love the name of the the, the film like and I'm and I'm and I'm being extremely genuine where they when I say this that women really are the sweets and spices because we're and it kind of mirrors back what we we're talking about being e either too much or, or not enough because mm. too much something that's too sweet is just gonna either turn you off or something that's too spicy you can't you can't tolerate it and it's not and it's gonna affect your palate but yeah yeah so it's gonna so it's gonna like just like we we gotta figure out like how much seasoning we want to spread. <laughs> And, and the balance of the sweets with the spices. I was just telling my son the other day, he was having some like really yummy potato chips. We went to the Indian store. We went to India sweets and spices store actually. Mm -hmm. And he was eating that. And I was like, oh, you need to have some chocolate with it, with the spicy chip. And it would be so great. And he was looking at me like, what are you crazy? I was like, oh, you're missing. You're missing out. Yeah. You got to find a perfect combination. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. the worst combinations are the best, are the best combinations. <laughs> so true. And sometimes shaving off your hair is the best thing to do. Liberating. Cut your hair, people. It's liberating. Oh, you know, like, I mean, I, I grew up with, uh, in Indian culture, women have to have long hair. And I remember when I was in, living in Delhi, I was doing a play and I was playing the man and his wife both. Mm. So I had quick changes backstage and the director was like, oh, I think you need to cut your hair because the wig is just not working out so well. And I was like, okay. I went and got my hair cut. I walk home, my father looks at me and he's like, what have you done? I was like, no, I don't know. He's like, so you cut your hair off? Mm -hmm. Like the hair was like this, like, 
valuable commodity that I couldn't get back or something. I don't know. He was so mad at me. And after that, I was like, okay, okay, you know, don't have short hair. And then I think this now I've had three years ago, I was sitting in my acting class and either it was like some divine something or I was just not paying attention. <laughs> I was like, hmm, I'm going to cut my hair short. And I did. And now I'm like, how did I ever have long hair? What was I doing? It's just yeah. not me. Yeah. Um, but there's so much like what is feminine mm -hmm. and what is masculine is so can be so rigid. And I feel like, you know, we are kind of dealing with it in our own way as we grow older, but our kids are the ones that I just am like, oh, how can we protect them from these rigid boundaries? Mm, I, don't, I don't think we can. I think it's just like you got to prepare them for it. And because like we, we don't know like who kids because I'm not a parent, but I'm just like speaking as like someone like who my, my friends kids that I call my nieces and my nephews. Like yeah. we have these kind of discussions. I'm always we always I'm always cognizant of the fact that you, neither my, me or their parents will ever be with them like 100% mm -hmm. of the time. So it's like you just gotta like give them the tools that they need and the words and the vocabulary they'll need to like speak about anything that they come into that they face because like we know this world messed up. Um, <laughs> I'm just being like serious. Like to quote Sebastian, God rest his soul, Samuel, as he said, the human world is a mess. And <laughs> you know, and it's just like we gotta prepare our kids and be like even like we are big adults and we're still struggling and we still like it's true face like things daily, um, but. I think, I think one of the keys is like learning how to be more sure of ourselves. Like that's something I'm still learning to be like, being yeah, sure of who I am as a person and things that may not be perfect to like accept and to like learn to laugh off and, mm -hmm. and learn that this is just me. And like, if someone can't deal with that, that's too bad for them. It's not anything I could change. And like, and I think that's just the beauty of just like being who we are and and like le I'm learning like we always have I always I remember I told someone I don't need anyone to tolerate me or mm. accept me I am mm. who I am and whether you like me or not I don't have to please anyone like as my mama say at any day I, when I'm dead I'm gone it can be just me <laughs> <laughs> like you know you get married, like, you get married by yourself have you interviewed your mom for for your show I've never interviewed my mom listen that'd be a whole thing me and my mom lock horns, like, woo, girl. Yeah, we too, we too, we too similar. <laughs> we too similar. We met my mom. Uh, I would love to meet her. She sounds fun. She is. My mom can be fun, but yeah, like, listen, I'll be honest, me and my mom, like, we got some things we start working out because, like, mo yeah. mothers and daughters, relationship between oh. mothers and daughters, like, especially if you have very similar personalities, like me and my mom have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, even in this film, you know, it explores the relationship between this mother and daughter. And it is such a, it's such a relationship that's fraught with friction, because on one hand, you want to identify with your mother. But there's also this individuality that you have where you're like, but you also don't want to be. And you just like this tension, in some ways, I'm learning as I get older, there's parts of my mother that are in me, that all I can do is okay, you're here too. Uh-huh. Thank you. Like, I can't fight it. Like, there's a part of me that's just, I have to accept it. I, I can spend my whole life fighting against it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go away. Exactly. It's just like, you are, who we, you, she is who she is and we are who we are. And just like, it's like, mom, I love you lady. But, <laughs> but I, I think like you mentioned, like the film, like, I think that's one of the things because the things with mothers or parents, like come with our own history, come with our own history and baggage. And then you, you're not sure how to like, do you like share that with the kids so that the kids understand where you're coming from. And like, I, I'll be honest, like that's one of the things me and my mom is my mom has a lot of her own ideas and a lot of it based on stuff that she experienced as, as when she was younger. Yes. Expects me yes. to react the same exact way. And I'm like, you raised me to be an individual, but then when I exert my individuality, you get all upset because I'm exerting my individuality. When that, <laughs> raised me to be this. I'm like, lady, make your mind up. It was like, <laughs> right? Oh, it is very, I mean, like it's same with my father, you know, he wanted me to not feel like I'm any less than any boy and all yeah. of that. And that's fine. But then when I said, okay, I don't want to do engineering. I want to be an actor. He was like, 
fit into a box, fit into a box, do yeah. engineering. That's, that's far enough. Don't go too far, you know, from like his um, vantage point. So it's interesting. I think the parents are always on a daily basis um, dealing with uh, what to pass on and what to kind of, um, it's hard. Parenting is hard. It is. I as a, I as a child can say yes. Yes. <laughs> I as a child and a parent can say yes, it is hard. And sometimes I just have to remind myself, see how you're having a hard time parenting. Your mother experienced the same thing. Have some empathy for her. I, I, I try to remind myself of that every day. Um so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up we we're gonna wrap up now. But again, thank you so much for talking. It was such a pleasure. So such fun. a pleasure. I'll connect with you. I think I think we might want I want to do something on this whole topic of immigrants and maybe we'll do something. For sure. I'm thinking like the way my brain is thinking or like maybe the, if we find a film that talks specifically about, about immigrants and just like this cuz I I really I so much of everything that I experienced to films and to TVs like that's my way to like I think when I watch a film or TV that I relate to it, it allows me to like vocalize and verbalize things that mm -hmm. I that I have in my head but then I'm just like ah okay I can use this as an example so that's just where my mm. mind is find a film and talk about the experience from the from how that film is <laughs> <laughs> well let me get through the Tribeca uh, film festival experience and we'll be in touch yes for sure thank you so much and you have you have my you. my uh, my, my I have your information yes and I'm always on Twitter so <laughs> okay <laughs> good to know Right, thank you so much, Titi. Thank you, Carolyn. Pleasure to talk to you. Bye. <laughs>